bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Brion, and my lovely co-host slash everything woman, Catherine G. Mendoza. Hey, Catherine, say hi to the people. Hey. Hello. <laughs> You're so silly. So you don't spell out your name anymore, so they're never going to see my victorious dance, like oh, my, my celebratory dance. Oh, my God. I should. I forgot yeah. all about that. They can finally see the dance. You want to know why I don't spell it anymore? Because... I don't know why, but like when we do our sign-offs, like our um, apps, it feels weird to like do it while there's someone staring at me on the screen. Like for some reason in person, they're across the table. It's not a big deal. But on the screen, they're just sitting there like, nobody cares, Heather. Nobody wants to know your Twitter. You really mean you're feeling son. People don't be thinking that. (laughs) Mírale la cara. Mírale la cara. I got them, and that's you. <laughs> so, me and you were talking last night. Did you watch the Jerry Seinfeld special? Twenty-three yes. hours to kill. Yes. Um. Okay. First, I really loved his little intro. Like, <laughs> I, I was. I, I love the fact that at first, for a second, I was like stunt double because he like jumps into the Hudson. Yeah, it's and, like mad extra, but still, like it's cute. And then second, I go. Wait, as the camera gets closer to him, like after the freeze frame, I realized, no, that's really him. Like, he really jumped in. This is how boss it is to be Jerry Seinfeld. Like, Netflix does not like when you have intros to your specials. Like, uh, one of my buddies was doing a, a Netflix special, and I think it was um, Tom Papa was supposed to have an intro to his last special, and they wouldn't let him have it. Like, this is how boss it is to be Jerry Seinfeld. Like, nobody's going to tell Jerry Seinfeld no. no, you can't do an intro. What are they gonna do? They're gonna take away his 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 um special? No. no. They no. benefit from his special. Of course. Like that's how boss it is to be somebody in that position to be like, oh yeah, this is my intro. I'm gonna do some stunts. And uh it is what it is. Right. Like, I mean, also he kind of touches upon it in the um special that like he doesn't need to do this at this point in his career. Like he doesn't need and I feel like because he, he asked that question, like, like if you were me, would you need to would do you be this? doing this? Like, I could be anywhere, man. my man. I could be traveling the world right now. I could be out of here. Right. And I feel like, um, but I feel like comics are one of those people in that profession that the reason they keep doing it is not because they got rich or famous. It's because they always loved doing it. That's it. It's like what they love. You know, you don't stop painting because you become this famous, like, artist. You keep painting. That's yeah. what you want to do. It's not a job. That's okay. how you could tell that he loves it, though, where it's like, whether you are a fan or not, like, whether you like his comedy style or not, because comedy is subjective. You know, as much as you look at the legendary comics and you go, yo, everybody loves these legendary comics. Like, no, not everybody does, because yeah. comedy is still subjective, even yeah. when you're a legend. But, like, somebody who is, like, an iconic comic, like Jerry Seinfeld, like, when you look at him and you go, my man could have stopped doing comedy legit after Seinfeld. I am sure he got his bag, still gets his bag from residuals or whatever from that show. Could have stopped, but he didn't. He's been doing it. And I'm used to seeing him at the clubs in New York, like watching him perform live, which by the way is insane. 
I saw, I, I, I caught him that one time. Remember, I think we were at Gotham. Yeah. And he just kind of randomly walked in. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I, and it was weird because I enjoyed the entire experience. The only thing that sucks is I think that was his, right after his last special came out. Mm -hmm. He was still doing material that was in that. So I didn't, it was still great, but I didn't get to like, get like that fresh material. Yeah. Special. And now you're doing, essentially doing bits from that too. Um, I love about watching him live or having him come into a club or any of the legendary comics with him or Chris Rock or like come into a club, you know, and go on stage. I love seeing the audience reaction. Oh yeah. Now here's the thing. There's a lot of comics that will probably be like hateful and sit in the back and be like, man, I wish I could get that response. But it's so overwhelming to me to watch how happy his presence, like a comic like him or a comic in his position, like that presence brings so much happiness and joy to people that they will, they will leap to their feet yeah, and just applaud just his presence. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't said anything. Just the fact that he's there makes him jump up and go nuts and it is one of the most amazing things to see well you know as as a as a viewer um i think it also is because comedy shows aren't cheap they're not expensive but they're not cheap they're right on the border of like they're like do i want to pay 20 dollars a ticket like here's the thing until i think until we became friends it's not that i didn't have respect for comics or think about how much they paid y'all. I think that's what it was. Once I started realizing how much y'all got paid, I really thought about the price of like the two drink minimum and all that stuff. But when someone like that comes in, that $20 you spent feels like a steal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause you feel like, cause I've gone to shows um, with without you where I'm like, this wasn't worth that. Like no offense, but nobody was tight, you yeah. know? And then I've gone to other ones where I'm like, worth the money. But that, you were just like, oh my God, that should be a $200 ticket that cost me $20 and two drinks. Exactly. And you're so close to them. Because in New York City, you know, we don't, there's not theaters. The clubs yeah. are so small. So you're coming to comedy clubs, which are tight, compact, intimate settings. Like, even with Caroline's, like, they very rarely will they open up the back of Caroline's. Like, wow. unless it's absolutely 100% sold out, you're dealing with mainly the front of the room. And right. it's still an intimate setting and you're not, because he was at the beacon for this last special he right. filmed, which I have performed at too. <laughs> it's a great um, theater. It's amazing. It's a beautiful theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to do it when I was with Gabe, like, and watching a headliner, like, own that stage at the beacon theater, like, I was able to see, I think I saw Sebastian there um, when I was under the same management as him. We went to see his show, Sebastian Maniscalco. And, um... You saw, um, what's his name? Um, Segura. I saw Eddie Izzard there. I saw Tom Segura there. So I've been to quite a few shows. And like watching, and I, I love, love, love watching comedy. Um, and when it's one of my favorite comics, I will go see them live. I will sit in the audience. Like, I don't tell anyone I'm a comic. Like, I'm real, like, I'm just like, I am an observer tonight. I am an audience member and I want to watch this. And I've been lucky enough to see people like Seinfeld in these small, intimate settings where you mm-hmm. get to see them work out stuff, which is my favorite part of the process. Watching somebody who is iconic and who is already a known comic figure out what works. It's still a part of the process. They still go back to square one. 
Yeah, like, because, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, the TV shows are very different than live comedy. I also think that, like, and this is probably where I'm a little judgmental of, like, people, if, like, they say that they're into comedy, but they only go to big shows. Yeah. Because if you don't go at, I mean, I'm not saying you need to be going to the club all the time, because that's also just not realistic. But if you've never been, and, and I don't mean, like, yeah, I've gone to the cellar. Okay. No. Like, that's not the only club I'm talking about. Yeah, like, where else have you gone? Because people right. go to the cellar just for the clout of saying they saw a comedy show at the cellar. Right. Or they know, like, Caroline's. Like, they know these names that are just yeah. safety, but they don't necessarily just go check out comedy because it's out there. I mean, I feel like, and it sounds weird, but, like, I think the night that me and you reconnected, um, it was because of a Groupon. Yeah. It was literally because... Stand Up New York had it on Groupon. I needed a cheap date and I went there, you know, but it was like, but I'm not going to lie. I've also gone to comedy shows because I've been caught on the street. Like, like in 42nd Street, I was much younger. I must have been like 21 and not even, yeah, I was 21 because I could just drink. Yeah. It was like, you, you like comedy? You want comedy? And the guy was cute. So I was like, okay. And so I went, but here's the thing. He wasn't a comic, so that was interesting. <clears throat> he wasn't, like, barking because he was just selling comedy tickets. So I was like, if we go together. And so we went together to the comedy. Mm -hmm. You but, are such a booty. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll go. I, I, here's the thing. I bought the tickets because I support all hustling. Oh, yeah. I know what support. But he paid for the two drinks. Because once we got there, I was like, two drink minimum. I mean, I'm going to have three, but don't tell me what my limit is. <laughs> and then it took me forever to realize two drinks did not mean alcoholic. No, it didn't. It, just, it doesn't have to be alcoholic. You can have soda, you can have water. But the wait staff gets so tight if you just order soda or water because they figure you're either cheap or you're not going to tip. And so when people, cause I, I don't, I'm not a drinker. I never was really a drinker. So even when I would go to comedy clubs and I would have to play patron or whatever, cause not every comedy club is like, oh, you're a comic, come watch the show for free. A lot of them are, but some of them are not. You still have to buy something. So I would go to these clubs and I would buy like a soda or something and I would tip so good or I would buy food and I would tip so good because I knew as soon as I ordered like just a soda, they'd be like, <sighs> This hoe is not going to tip me. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes it's just not. I just don't want liquor. Yeah, I just yeah. don't want liquor or I don't like y'all food. Because most comedy clubs have food or I'll look at their menu and I'll be like, nah, this, no, this no. is whack. I'm not eating at this place. Because yeah. I'll give me some food. I was just eating before we jumped on this. I'm not going to lie. I got, I got me some yogurt. I made a cake last night, girl. <laughs> what kind of cake? A yellow cake with chocolate frosting, my favorite cake. Like Duncan Hines, yellow cake, chocolate frosting. So, you know, I told Jeremy, I was like, no judgment on how much of this cake I eat by myself. I, no, you're not by yourself. I know. I'm not. It's me and Junior. So, like, you can't, you can't judge me right now because I'm eating for two. I'm eating for and then greedy hoe that lives inside of me. You could say, um, I'm, a, I'm a growing boy, technically. Yeah, I'm a growing boy. So, <laughs> I'm growing a boy. So, I'm a growing boy. And they I, require more calories. I have not had anything to eat all day. At all. So, it, it is nice. 2.50. And 
You know what it is? It's because I haven't had a morsel of food touch my mouth. Because the minute... The minute you taste it or smell it. Like if you were, if somebody was cooking something delicious and you could smell it. It's over. It's over. I'm going to... Uh, like I, 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 right before this, I went to go get some water and I opened the fridge and I saw like leftover rice. And I'm not going to lie. Yo, there's a part of me that's like after this, I'm going to get a fried egg. With some rice. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Good. good delicacy. Yes, you good, are. Good, yes. good delicacy. <laughs> egg, over, egg over rice. Just. <laughs> I would say, um, for referring <clears throat> to the, the special, like I'll say this. I love things that he talked about, like things that I just didn't know, like um, that he got married at 45. I mean, I feel like I knew he was single for mad long, but to me, the astounding part isn't the married at 45. It's the married at 45 and then having kids. Yeah. Kids late, you know? And there's like a whole bunch of articles right now talking about how like um, his wife talks about he wasn't a, he wasn't, um, a natural father. He became the great yeah. father that he is. But the man was 45. Yeah. Wait, the older you get, the problem with having kids older in life, there, there's pros and cons. Like I'm 40 right now, I'm about to have my first kid. The one of the pros, I was talking to one of the guard, one of the um, security guys at the cellar one time was telling me he had kids late in life, and he said the advantage of it is he's so much more secure in himself that raising a kid seemed like, you know, like oh yeah, no, I got this because I know exactly who I am now and the mistakes that I that I made as a kid that I want to prevent my kids from making. Like I'm not a young parent where it's like a lot of it is like just guessing. Parenting is all guessing anyway. Like, you're like, I hope this works. Like, I'm gonna try this with my kid. And I hope that my kid grows up to be a kind, understanding, smart individual. But I mean, it's also outside influence. So it's like, you're doing your best at every age. But when you're older, I think what happens too is like, you're so set in your ways. So if you have bad habits, as somebody who's in their 40s, you have to be so on top of breaking those habits for when that kid comes, because otherwise, and this is something me and my husband have talked about, where it's like, I'm not going to be raising the both of y'all. Yes. And then also, if you're newly married at, yeah. in, in your mid-40s, again, the habit now becomes not only who you are and what you teach this child, but who you are and, like, you spent mad years by your damn self. So that's hard. I feel like, so I kind of, like, commended him for, like, um, I know this is going to sound weird, but I find it very interesting when guys um, talk about happy wife, happy life, because yeah. I'm not trying to say that women need to run the show, but I do think there is something to like men talking about, like, I think about it because I understand our brains work different. Like, I just get it. I get that we're not the same type of human being. And I feel like they're jo he's joking at it, but he's clearly happy. Yeah. He's happy, but I mean, I, that also takes work. Yeah. And like, it's so funny when people say happy wife, happy life, like it's, it's it can be looked at so negatively. Yeah, like, like, oh. like Yeah, and it's like, no, there's a reason. And this is something that, and this is, me and my husband have had great conversations over, you know, <clears throat> either before or after arguments or like, instead of arguing, we just have a really in-depth discussion. And one of the things that I remember telling him during one of our early arguments, it was over dishes and I was doing the dishes and I was pissed off. I was doing them with an attitude. 
So I snapped at him for something, which was wrong on my part. I should have just said what was bothering me because I don't like when people do that to me. So he asked me what was wrong. And I had to explain to him, you're turning me into a person I don't want to be. I would not be this upset if I didn't have to tell you things that as a considerate human being, forget about being my partner, forget about being my husband. As a considerate human being, you should know she doesn't like when I do this. Yeah. Every time I do this, we have a fight. But you still do it. So why do you still do it? And then you turn me into this nightmarish person. Yeah. And I think that the connotation of happy wife, happy life comes from that misunderstanding of I wouldn't be nagging you if this wasn't a habitual problem. Right. And people don't look at it like that. It's like if you would take care of the habitual problems, like there was one day like here in our new place, and I know we have a guest joining us soon, God willing, um, if everybody gets the times right, um, that it was, a, it was like a perfect day. Like, I woke up, I had texted my husband, I wasn't really, he was in the kitchen, and I was like, hey, I want to make poached eggs and some grits, and I don't know how to make either. So, I was like, if you could just tell me how to make either of those, uh, I will be up in a minute. He didn't even think about it. He just made breakfast. He made the poached eggs, he made the grits. I got out of bed, and he had a plate ready. He had made us both breakfast. And I'm not saying that you got to serve your girl. It's just a thing where it's like, I'm used to getting up and making breakfast and then like he either figures out what he's going to eat or I'll make something for him. But to have somebody do that for you without asking. And then he went, did all the dishes, got everything ready. And we went about our day and it was just this, it was so nice to not have to feel like you're nagging somebody into doing something or that you're constantly bringing stuff up. Oh shoot. Our guest is here. Okay. Let's let our guest in. Yes, it's connected to his audio. What's yeah. up, everybody? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Trejo, everybody, Zoom applause or whatever. Uh, <laughs> we got to do everything in this age. We got to clap and everything off screen last. <laughs> uh, I love how you clap like a kid. He still claps like a very happy. <laughs> Hey, once I lose the ability to clap this way, you know my life's fucked. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can never lose that. Clapping an enthusiastic Heart. child. Thank How you, are you ladies? so much. See y'all. Thank you so much for joining us. We we're so excited to have you on. Congrats on everything you're, you're you know, having happen in your life right now. Um, we'll Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll talk about everything. Yeah, um, hell yeah. Yeah, we got, we got a lot to cover right now. Uh, but for right now, we do this thing, um, we'll do that in a minute, where we do like three rapid fire questions, and I'll throw them at you, and then you'll just answer them in whatever order you see important, whatever. Before we get into that, I want to get into a little bit how I know you. Um, I am, I'm a, you know, I'm a comic, you're a comic. We met on the scene. I'm not sure where we met, though. Do you remember where we met? I remember. Huh? <laughs> what do you mean? I remember, so... Um, I don't know if you remember this. You came to LA and you did a show at the LA Improv, right? And I opened for you. Oh my God. Yeah. I, oh my God. That was one of my first, I think that was one of my first times, um, headlining a show. At yeah. The you were headlining the Hollywood Improv and I opened, I hosted for you. Oh and, my um, goodness. Yeah. I was, I was so excited and, uh, I had a great time. Were you with uh, Levity at the time? Uh, no, not yet. 
Okay. No, not yet. I was, uh, I was like in, in, in between management. Okay. Because yeah. I know that we were on the, I, I'm not with Levity anymore, but I know that you are still. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. We'll okay. Talk yeah. about that off camera. Okay. She's been time. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I still got love. Um, but I remember we were under the same management because I remember also when you came out to San Jose when you were doing the uh, the documentary with the Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I I got to open for you there too. That, that's right, San Jose Improv. It was like a, uh, yeah. I I went there just for a day, right? Yeah, you were literally yeah. just in there for a day. Um, you were explaining to me the whole thing that was going on with your folks. Yeah, man. How intense that was. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a, it was a crazy time. And I've always thought you were so funny. But you know what? I'll be real. Like, like, like you two ladies have always been one hundred to me, and I appreciate that. You know, this business. I mean, in a in the business that we're in this creative thing, there's, it's like, there's a lot of, uh, how can I say it, personalities, you know? And, and and sometimes it's not to say that they're a bad person, but they're hard to kind of like, to vibe with everyone, you know, which is fine. But you two ladies, man, it's always been 100, man. I appreciate that. I, I, yeah, I, I, I fucks with the good vibes all day. See, oh. it's weird how I met Jesus was actually I was say, You guys know each other. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, how? Yeah. <laughs> it's through comedy, but not through comedy because um, my best friend, hold, hold your reaction, Gina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a short episode. All right. Peace. <laughs> ah. You know, I'm um, acting up. My, 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 one of my best friends, Jasmine, actually um, yes. living in LA. And at the time, she was with. One of your best friends. Yes, yes. Also a comic, and so like I had heard about you for a while, but we actually didn't meet because she would tell stories and she'll be like, you know, um, this guy was with this guy, and I'm like, yo, who is this person? So I think I we met through her in LA at one point, but then we again saw each other at a show you guys did together here. In did we not meet at a? At a weren't you working at at, at Me Too? <laughs> Yes, you did. Didn't we meet there? Yeah. You came in, you were doing something, and I was visiting the office, and so that's how we first met. And I remember she was wow. like, oh, yeah, I know him. But then I think one of the first conversations we had was the show that you guys had together here in New York City. And I remember because you, um, when you showed me the lineup, I was like, oh, I know that dude. I know him through so-and-so. Yeah, because then I... I, I remember meeting you, like, like re-meeting you again, and it was at the show Gina and I did in uh, in, in New York at the little underground joint. Yeah. Yep. What was that uh, venue? Uh, was it, yeah, it was some, it was something at the Chelsea underground. Market, right? Wasn't it somewhere at the Chelsea Market? No, it's no. Like UCB Underground or something like that. It was in Soho. It was some, like, Latino kind of show. It was really nice, but um, I just remember it was in a basement somewhere. Yeah, and I remember seeing you, and and I actually I remember this story specifically. They had a bunch of cookies there, and you're like, I don't know if I should get one. And I grabbed one and I gave it to you. I said, You fucking eat the cookie, man. <laughs> like, you gotta live them. And uh, yeah, I, I ate a lot of cookies. I remember that. But yeah, I remember that. There's free cookies. It's on, son. All day. All day, yo. If there's food backstage, you eat that. <laughs> I, I think there's very few joys in life, and I think food for me is like, oh. like. Like, like, life could be going off the rails, but if you have a good meal, like, for that brief moment when you eat that, you're like, everything's fine. Because I'll go back to the bullshit. It'll, it'll be waiting for me as soon as the meal's done. But for that moment, you feel like, hey, man, even if it's a cookie, like, fuck, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this right now. 
Yeah. Else is I'm going to eat the crap out this cookie right now, son. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw the three questions at you. You okay. ask them in whatever importance you see them. Uh, the first one, where are you from? Second one, what is your zodiac sign? And the third one, how did you get started in comedy? Okay, where I'm from, I'm uh, from Long, uh, Long Beach, California, east side, born and raised. Hey. Um, um, my zodiac sign, uh, don't laugh at me now, uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the one with the lady with the water pitcher. She got like the water. Aquarius, maybe? No, I'm August 30th. This is a Virgo, but I don't know the symbol. Yeah. <laughs> The virgin. It's virgin. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, very fitting. That that that, that says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Virgo, uh, Long Beach, born and raised. And how do I get how did I get started? Yeah. Um, I got started uh in the open mic circuit in Long Beach. Uh the first gig I did was at a at, at a bar. I was too young to be there. I got kicked out. And I was told to come back the following week. And I went and uh, I, I told the host, I'm like, hey, can I get up? And he's like, you can't be here. You're like 20 years old. And I'm like, oh, but you said I could come back next week. And I came back. He's like, bro, just go up there. And I bombed so hard. Like, he gave me five minutes. I was, I, I was off in like a hot two minutes. And uh, yeah, it was a mess. Wow. Yeah. He has that story of starting. I don't think I ever, I think my worst stage story I was, cause I was too, always too scared to leave before my time was up. Cause I was like, they're gonna think that I'm disrespecting them if I leave, even if I'm bombing, if I'm eating a nutsack for freaking <laughs> 30 minutes, I'm like, I gotta stay on for the rest of this set. Like until yeah. it finishes. And I was on, I was on stage in Hartford, Connecticut. And I was, I mean, five minutes of my set went good, but they wanted 15 minutes. And I was one of those stupid idiots at the time. It was early in my career that I was like, I could do 15. But then <laughs> I could just go off the cuff and be funny. <laughs> and I happened that way. Five minutes, minute six, I started bombing. It was like evident. And minute seven, they started yelling out other jobs I should have taken. Like the audience started just yelling out. <laughs> other job opportunities they thought would be better for me <laughs> and then by the next minute i see the host running up to the stage because i am bombing so hard the audience isn't even yelling it at me they're yelling job opportunities that i should have taken to each other they're like yo i think she'd be a good nurse nah i see her more pop <laughs> and like they're walking back and she needs a nurse right now <laughs> <laughs> She's dying. it was being uh broadcast live on connecticut oh, radio no. oh, uh, so I was mortified. I got off like I think in seven or eight minutes and I just went outside and I was like, I'm never gonna do comedy again. And yeah, just something about that first set where it's like he'll make or break you. And, and yeah. I mean, I, it, it took me a whole year before I got up, you know? Um, yeah. I did the first set, my homie was recording it. He had a camcorder and he recorded it. I got off stage. Cause mind you, I was supposed to do five. So I got off like in two or three minutes, right? And when I got off, like none, none of it was hitting. I, I wrote five, like cut right through it. Yeah. And I was just so nervous. Uh, I remember like handing the mic back. Like, you know, when you hand the mic back, like, all right, I did that, but I dropped the mic. I didn't even wait for him to like grab the mic. It dropped. And as I left, I remember tilt, like tipping over the mic stand that was just there. And it was just like a, like a mess. The batteries flew out the wireless mic. It was just bad. <laughs> 
and I and, and I laugh and I'm like sweating and my homie still got the camera. He's like, so so how'd it feel? I'm like, man, turn that shit off. You saw what happened. And and then he's still recording outside and um yeah, I, I just did not want to go back up. And it took me a year. It took me a full year before I got up. And then the second time when I got up, I was like, oh shit, like it's, it's gonna work. And believe it or not, I, I bombed harder than the first time. So that was fun. <laughs> Do you still have that footage? Yeah, my homie has that footage. It, it, it's it, it's a whirlwind of shit. It, it just Murphy's Law. Like if if that was to be as special, it'd be called Murphy's Law. Yeah, anything <laughs> that could go wrong. Is that when you're bombing that hard, and I had well something like that too. First time I headlined, I headlined a hotel in Jersey, and I ate it so hard for oh. thirty minutes that the guy that came to film me was my buddy Stuart, who is yeah since passed away, but oh, he um. Yeah, I mean, that blows, but he was like one of my, he was one of the coolest people and such a supporter. He came out to film me and I'm bombing. I mean, I am eating several nut sacks like throughout this set. Like it, I'm just bombing. And at the end of it, he's like, so do you want the video? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, please burn that and never speak oh. of it again. Yeah, I want the video deleted. it. <laughs> destroyed completely obliterated so that it can uh, never be recreated now wouldn't you like to look at it though like a little bit nah. just no <laughs> <laughs> um i i have a hard time looking at yes the, um the the truthful answer is yes because i i haven't seen it in such a long time that i well i would like to see like what made me think i i had anything in me to pursue it anymore right. you know so it's like it's your stubbornness it's this like yeah, yeah it's like Here's what I learned uh, from that, because I, I, I think about that day, and over the years I revisit that memory, and it's like, I realized something about myself that I have a, like a, I'm a slow learner, you know, I've always been that way, but even so, like, every time I've, I've moved up from host to feature, you know, as a host, you're doing, you know, 10 to 15, as a feature, you're doing 15 to 30, you know, and as a headliner, you're doing anywhere from 45 to an hour plus or whatever, you know. So at every step of the way as a comic, I have failed to meet the expectation. Even as an open mic, like when I would go to the store, they would give you three minutes. I would get off before the light. Like I, in, in my mind, the way I think I cut my losses. If this is not gonna work, I'm gonna save face. I'll cut my losses now. Is it, there's no sense in me waiting three minutes for an ass whooping. I, I, I got what I needed out of this and it, and it ain't my night. So I would always fail miserably and to tag the story that you said where, where you headlined and like it went off the rails. I remember I did Irvine Improv. I had, a, I had an agent come out to see me. They're like, all right, we're gonna come see you. I said, great. And um, uh, uh, I had some friends there. Um, yeah, so I had friends there. I had the agent come out and I'm feeling good. I got my, my, my homies hosting, another homies featuring, and I'm gonna do an hour, right? So I'm so nervous that I told the light, uh, the sound people, I said, light me at 15, light me at 30, light me at 45, and then when you give me the, the, the hour mark, I'm, I'm gonna be like, thank you, good night, right? It's because I have to pace myself. So I perform, I get the 15, I say, all right, I'm doing good. I get 30, I'm like, all right, it's not bad. I get the 45, I'm like, this is a walk in the park, I'm getting, representation tonight you know it's like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sign with this agency you know and um as soon as they give me that light i mean it, it was the plane was like <laughs> like it, it went downhill so bad i got nervous i blanked out um i literally 
as I'm standing there with the mic, I'm like, oh shit, like I blanked out. I'm like, um, I'm like, hold on, give me a moment. So I go behind the curtain. Yo, I went behind the curtain. I said, give me a minute. I left. <laughs> I left. And I had my set list there. And I literally grabbed like the set list. And my <laughs> homie's sitting behind the curtain, uh, Luke Schwartz. He's sitting behind the thing. And I grabbed the list. And he's sitting there across. He's like, hey, what are you doing back here? Aren't you doing the show? I said, yeah. Um, I said, man, I'm blanking out. He's like, oh, yeah, you went through all of it. I've, I've been following your set list the whole time. I'm like, give me that. So I'm looking at him like, fuck. So I go back out there with the paper in my hand. I go, um, uh, only child, I did that. I got like a little laugh, you know, and I'm like, that's all I got, man. Uh, uh, thank you so much for coming out. And it was like a slow, like. Oh, no. When I tell you that shit hurt, it oh. hurt. Because the agents that went to go see me understand that they came backstage because they told me they were going to be there. So they came backstage as I'm sitting there all miserable, shiny forehead and everything. And then they're like, uh, that was great. I'm like, you don't have to say that. I know what happened, you know. I was there. I know what happened. But, you know, every step along the way, I've, I've had one of those experiences. And now it's just like, I'm okay with it, you know. As creatives, you gotta be just comfortable with like failure, you know? It's like, that's the only way we learn, you know? It's like, sometimes I, I'll make like a video, I do this and they're like, why'd you put it out? I'm like, cause it has to hurt. Like for me, I know my learning style and it has to hurt. People can talk their shit, whatever. Hey, you know what, I put it out there. Hopefully yeah. the next one will be better. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. It's part of the process and a lot of creatives don't accept that failure is a part of the process. Like, it's an unfortunate part that we all dread but without it, you know, there is no change. There is no growth. Like if you had it, if you don't bomb on stage a few times, if you don't get that feeling of like, I have to step it up or I have to be prepared next time. Like I've been the person that froze on stage and we, we all have, you know what I mean? Like where I'm like, oh man, I forgot everything that was supposed to come after this point and I am screwed and I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm not going to remember it. I'm going to have to start doing old, old stuff because I got nothing right now. Right. And if you don't experience those things, then you never learn how to get over those things. It's like when the venues we perform in, in the beginning, it's like, you're not just doing comedy clubs. Like I did bars, I did catering halls. I did somebody's birthday party once. <laughs> so it was like, you got the stage time that helps you adapt to any given scenario. So when you put years in the game, you know, that's what, one of the benefits is I performed in every venue. Like, there's nothing that you're going to do in my way and be like, and shock me. I've performed at firehouses, everything. So, like, when you show up for a gig that's subpar to some people's standards, you're like, oh, I know what to do. I yeah, I think, I, I think a creative's journey is almost like eliminating the, the, the surprise element. You know, it's like, I'm not going to get phased, and, and I know how to deliver, you know, whether it's a painter or a, you know, a director, uh, what have you, is like the surprise element is removed. So it's like, it's like almost like learning the lines. Like when you act, when they say, it's like you can't begin acting until you know the lines. Once you know the lines, that's when you can begin acting. So how can you be a, like a full on artist if you're still being surprised by certain elements, you know? Once yeah. that's removed, it's like, oh, I'm, create I'm, I'm creating. It's like, you know, you don't fix the rim, you fix your shot. You know, that was the analogy I grew that's up great. listening to. That's really great, actually. That's a great analogy. 
Um, speaking of doing big things, and we weren't, but that's a terrible transition. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk tacos con todo. Um, yeah. I think that, first of all, the concept is amazing. How has it felt doing the show? You've had some amazing guests. How many more episodes do we have to look forward to? Like, what do you got lined up for Tacos Con Todo? Explain to people what it is. Yeah, it's so, always First We Feast, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, first We Feast, so Complex is the, is the parent company, then First We Feast. And then, uh, yeah, they had this concept, and they reached out. They, they asked me if I wanted to, uh, if I wanted to host it. And, um, you know, I, I, I ran through the creative with them. It was, it was the reason I love it is, is, is this. I love a good story and I love that they talk to the families behind the businesses, you know, and, and, and I think there's a lot of food shows out there and, you know, not that this one's like any different. There's an element of hanging out. There's an element of the food, but it's just a nice touch that they, that they highlight the family and the family recipe and how they got there. And I thought that was so sweet, you know, yeah. especially like, you know, tacos and Momo, uh, uh, carnitas and Momo out of Boyle Heights. They, they have this operation where they like they show you how they make the carnitas and the and the recipe came from Mexico and they have the dad there with the original recipe, and you see how this grandfather was able to provide for three generations going on four now, from this restaurant. I thought that was so beautiful. Uh, Tacos 1986, like the guy started off this operation uh, on the street. You know he kept getting shut down by the police, and then uh, he. While, while this was happening, he kept getting write-ups in the LA Times. And people were like, man, this spot is so dope. So he ends up going to Coachella and makes a killing in a month or, you know, the duration of, like, um, Coachella that he opens up his first brick-and-mortar spot. And that turned into a second to a third. And I, I saw him yesterday, and um, I, I talked to him. He's like, hey, we're opening one, like a fourth one in Burbank. And it's just like, I, I mean, you know, it's it, – it could very easily be said that it's like a like a Latinx story, but it's like the American dream. It's like yeah. you know coming from nothing and just, I mean, the dude's providing for his family. He's a he's a business owner, you know, millionaire now. I mean, like like those stories I love, man. Even uh, uh, what you call it, uh, what is it, tacos out of it? You know, that whole family. It's a mom and dad, and they got kids. But the eldest son, he's going to Cal State LA studying engineering, but he has to make all the food all day so he can go to school and then sells at night. I mean, the hustle I love, and then also the comedy, the food, but yeah. and they reached out, they wanted me to host it, and everything is pointing in the direction of a season two, so I'm excited to host beautiful. it. And, and gain more beautiful, weight, so. man. That yeah. is amazing. Were you a fan of Hot Ones? Like, because I know the show is similar to Hot Ones. I, think, I feel like it gives you a lot more backstory um, than Hot Ones does. Um, I like that element of it. Um, but were you a fan of Hot Ones before before doing Tacos Con Todo? Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, Hot Ones, I, that's my favorite food, wings. So, And then also, like, I don't know, all the celebrities that they have on there, like, you know, musicians, singers and stuff. Yeah. It's like you, I, I love seeing how they behave under the under that circumstance of eating, you know, hot, hot sauce and having to answer questions. I, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's like my favorite two episodes are uh, the YG one and uh, the Bobby Lee one. I mean, they're hilarious. Yeah. They're hilarious episodes to watch just in general, watching people feel the pressure of like their eyes are watering and the questions get more intense as the sauces get more intense. So it just makes it 
it makes it very interesting. Now, for yeah. you, do you have like a favorite episode so far that you've done? Uh, with the tacos con todo, I think it's like they're all really great, but man, shit, a favorite one. It's hard to say a favorite one. Um, oh, you put me on the spot. That's a great question. <laughs> I don't think I was asked that before. Um, ooh, I would say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say the, the, the Long Beach episode when I went to, uh, Gabriel was on that one. But yeah. it, it was nice to have Gabriel, but also it was like, I, I didn't know that we lived like that. We grew up in the same area, you know? Wow. And, yeah, and I used to go to that uh, Tacos local spot, you know, as a kid when I used to work with my dad. Um, after a long day of work, we would stop there and eat, you know, so that was just so cool to go back to that taco shop and just eat, especially with, you know, Gabriel, who he grew up there. He's like a Long Beach icon, you know. He, he is to comedy and Long Beach with Snoop is to rap and, 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 and the city, you know. So it's like, you know, he's in, on the comedy front, he's like, you know, you think of comedians from Long Beach, he's, he's what comes to mind. There's been more, but, I mean, he's the one to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was nice. It was a dangerous-ass neighborhood and shit. So uh, the camera guys did not leave anything in the cars. They took everything out. It was so funny. Because <laughs> they knew. They were like, um, I think we're in the hood. We yeah, they were just like, oh, man. It's like, where did you take us? I'm like, yeah, this is where I grew up, man. See, what I love about the concept and comparison to, like, Hot Ones is that Hot Ones is, is kind of game show in a weird way. It mm -hmm. has that element where this one feels more familiar. It's like you can tell a story. You're telling multiple stories, right? You not only tell the story of the establishment, but then, um, which I think is what makes it um, culturally relevant because its whole premise is tacos, right? So you know that it's entrenched in Mexican culture, and it really gives you that. But then at the same time, you have these guests and like the interview portion, it kind of feels like a traveling food show with mm -hmm. the element of like, for instance, if it's con todo, it might have something spicy and some people's tolerance may not be there. So it still has that, that hot ones element to it. Mm -hmm. I feel like it, to me, what I liked about it was your selection, one, biased because I like you as a person. But then oh, you're very sweet, likewise. <laughs> but then two, because I'm like, they could have gotten any like um, food expert Mm -hmm. You know, but I think it was about authenticity and someone who was not only going to be able to relate to whoever the guests are, but just to the culture and really appreciate the stories being told. So, like, they did a really good job, in, in my opinion, in, like, the whole concept, but then bringing you along to, like, you know, zhuzh it up. Yeah, yeah. I was just very grateful for the opportunity. I mean, it, it was great. I, I, I love food and I love talking shop, you know, with comics, you know, made new friends, you know. Yeah. Um, talk to old friends and I mean, I, I just have to show up and, you know, hang out. They do all the creative stuff. Well, they let me chime in a little bit, but it's like, they basically, you know, you know, handle everything. I, I'm just on board a like host and I'm like, all right, if I can show up and eat and, and, and talk comedy, I mean, that's, that's the dream job, I guess. Yeah. yeah. That sounds amazing, but I get I gained nine pounds doing doing six episodes. Thing, like, I would be in trouble if they gave me a talk. Oh. Like it's a wrap for my waistline, yo. Oh man, that was yeah. It's like it's bad when you uh, put on jeans and you gotta do this one, like here, you know. That's, that's oh man, it was rough. You're like, oh no, I'm Jesus con todo. <laughs> <laughs> con todo the calories, hell yeah. Now another thing that we are very happy uh, for you is the special that's coming out. You have a special coming out. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about the special? Because I know in these situations, there's stuff that's like, can't say that yet, can't say this yet. 
But what can you tell us about the special? It's on Showtime, right? Yeah. Yep. Showtime. It's called May 29th. Right? May 29th. Yeah, Stay at Home Sun, uh, May 29th, 9 p.m. It's my first one-hour special. I'm very excited for it. Um, yeah, I'm a dream come true. I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah, I've I've dreamt I've dreamt of this moment since I was a kid. It's been on the vision board. That you know, that was nice to cross that out off of the oh, vision board. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 happy. I'm, I hope it's well received. Uh, very autobiographical. You know, I talk about my upbringing, you know, in Long Beach, I talk about, you know, my parents, the situation of me being like a caregiver and, um, you know, just like trying to impress my parents at all costs. And then I have a fun story where I kind of tie everything together, my upbringing, my parents and everything in one 20 minute story at the end of me trying to run the LA marathon to impress my parents. And, um, yeah, so it's like I broke everything up in, in thirds. I had this idea of like breaking it up in thirds and it's 20 minute chunks. And, um, I hope people can kind of see that. I, I went for kind of like a like a like a beat to three, a, a first act, second act, third act, and uh, hopefully people can kind of see that storyline. But look, I'm 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 just happy with the opportunity, man. It's like, Aww. yeah, it's it just so great, you know. It was uh, it felt good, and I hope it's well received. And not if if not, you know what, you know, fuck it. It's a great name too. Like stay stay at home, son. Could be taken so many ways during the quarantine. Now you'll we'll stay. It ended up working out. The word like holy moly, like that's what I was wondering. I was like, yeah. did he pick that before or after? Yeah, yeah. If if you if like, cause somebody uh, I forget who it was. Somebody sent me an email. It's like, no, you changed it. You're trying. You know, I mean, you're trying to get on the bandwagon. I said, go back to November second mm-hmm. when I taped it. I, I had I had merch printed up. I did a limited run on these T-shirts. Uh, these t-shirts that says stay at home son and I made flyers I'm like look this was already printed up as of November 2nd of last year so it just worked out yeah because the connotation is like stay at home dad except there's stay at home son um but it works now for the quarantine times too because everybody that sees that is gonna be like stay at home son okay I'm at home yeah 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 (laughs) I'm at home son (laughs) hard uh, because you've done two specials right Yes, um, I had uh, the HBO one, and now really? I have the Amazon one that's coming out soon. So and I had the first one was specifically speaking. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. But that first speaking. hour of all that cultivated material is always your baby, where yeah. you're like, y'all have no idea how long this material has been incubating. I was gonna ask you, do you think the first one was easier than any project after that stand-up wise? Like if you did the half hour or an hour. So is that first one in comparison to the other one, is that the most difficult to let go or to put together? Um, totally. The first one is the it's it's your baby. It's mm. the it's the hardest one to let go of creatively because you know, once it's out there, it's your life's work essentially. Like I was a comic, I was doing comedy maybe 15 years before I got that first special. And so for like 15, 16 years, I'm working on this material. I have this hour, I have, you know, and then when I put it together, the work that it takes to craft an hour special, like people don't understand how much work goes into an hour special for a comic. It takes at least a year to have the material, to tour with the material, and then to film the material and set up that whole night of filming and getting everything ready, the behind the scenes stuff, everything. 
So that first special, first of all, it's so epic. It's so epic, your first special. It's like, it's, it literally is like your first love. It's like, if that, mm. you're a comedy virgin in terms of being on TV, and this is you popping your comedy cherry. Like, so it's like, I cried like after it aired, like when my first special- I was just about to ask you that. Like, what was, I don't know if you felt this, and I don't know, now we're getting deep, all right? Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if a Jupiter's a retrograde or whatever the hell they say. Uh, <laughs> Venus is the retrograde. Oh, Venus? Okay, yeah. I'm retrograding right now, or I'm really, you know, going deep. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel like as soon as I shot the special, like, it, it, it was shot on a Saturday, right? Sunday morning, it felt weird. I wouldn't say that I felt down, but it was, that's the best way to describe it. I'm like, yeah. and then Monday, I really felt it. I was like, oh, man, I, I remember going to the coffee shop that I usually go into. And uh, I, I just kind of sat there and I was just like, all right, that's done. And I have more material, you know, where I could kind of yeah. get the ball rolling. But I, I, I can't describe it any more than that, where it's like, it, it was just like, that's what it felt like, if, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Because after that first special, you've let go of so much. Like what mm. a lot of people don't realize about comedians. And it's because a lot of us, you know, have this tough exterior. We, we have this confidence that we carry on stage. They don't realize how vulnerable we're being in that moment where we're sharing our stories. And mm -hmm. so when you've shared something that you've literally incubated for like years and years and years and you put it out there, it does feel like something was taken away from you because you're just like, oh man, like that was, that was me. That's my stuff. And now right. it's going to be out there soon. Like I was so nervous watching specifically speaking when it aired, I was so, I mean, and I was so emotional after like, so much of my life had changed by the time that special had aired. Okay. And so when it aired, I was in a different place in my life. I had broken up with, you know, the boyfriend I was dating for seven years, who was there the night it was filmed, who filmed the behind the scenes, some of the behind the scenes. And so it was just like when the special was over and they're like playing the behind the scenes and I'm seeing my life's work up until that point just air on a network and you regress back to that first year comic and you're just like watching it and going, I can't believe that that's me. I can't believe that that's my stuff. And the feedback you get is always gonna be a mixed bag. But the good stuff at that time, especially for your first special, it's just like the, the feedback you get that's positive. It's so, it's like an energy burst. Like you just, you feel it in your soul where you're like, somebody connected with me in like podunk town that I've never been to they now connected with my life story and it's it's right. an incredible feeling like i'm so excited for you to just see yourself on showtime man like you're gonna see yourself on a network like that you probably watched movies on growing up and now you're like yo i'm on that network can you please yeah please ig story this see because i'm such a fan of your ig yes. stories this man's ig <laughs> stories are hilarious <laughs> And it's literally just everyday stuff. So I kind of want to see you cry if you do cry. Because I bet you it'll be the nicest thing, but at the same time, the most meaningful thing. It's the same as like when I watched your whole, you had a van IG story a few years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was amazing. Yeah, man. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Holy Please more. tell us about the van because I don't, whoever's listening to this, Go to his Instagram. Just he has one highlight, just one, and one it's about thing. a van. 
Oh yeah, it's still there. As, as it is there. Don't take it off. It deserves to be there. You you rented a car and they gave you basically what is it the the what is the, the church price? man? Yeah, yeah, the church man. It doesn't look like a church man. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> it was the um the the, the youth passed to seventy five hundred. You know what I mean? They also gave you the I'm gonna kidnap a child man. I remember, I don't know if it's in the story, but I remember pulling into a, a Cane's Chicken and the, the van was so long, I couldn't make the turn of the radius in, in there. Like I, I remember hitting the thing. I can't remember if it was in there. I got to go back and look, but it was great. I mean, I, I made the most of it, you know. It was I was great. killing time before a college gig, you know. There was a part where you were sitting in the back and you were like, I'm in the yes. section. Yo, I was. Y'all really watched it. Holy moly. I, I did. No, I really watched it because it was so funny how you were treating that like a tour bus and you're like, I'm sitting in the living room section and I'm just in tears. My favorite was that they were interacting with you and people were like, Yo, is that you? And taking pictures of other bands? Oh, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was uh, I was in Commerce, Texas, and I went to Dallas, and people were like, "Oh, a Jesus sighting!" People that follow me were just like taking pictures of bands and like another Jesus sighting. I'm like, my shit don't look like that. <laughs> oh, that creepy, damn. That's you know, it was so funny though. Like all those people don't see what we go through on the road, so it's even it's so funny uh, to share stories like that. Where I mean, because that's the most crazy car rental story I've heard. Like they just gave you a whole van. Yeah, that was the only thing they had left. That's the only thing they had left, and they're like, "Hey, that's like their work van for their employees to come in every morning. That's their carpool work <laughs> van." And they were like, "Yo, just give him Tom's truck. Like, give him Tom's van, yo." Oh Can't man, Tom ain't coming in today. Let him have it, yo. That's why I'm so grateful to 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 be a comedian because it's like all these. I guess that's what's great. I think in general about being an artist and. For me, at least a comedian that I could talk about whatever bad thing or like setback, like somehow that's an asset in my line of work. I could, you know, mm -hmm. I could talk about it. I could, you know, I guess put it on the stories or talk about it on stage. So it's like, it's great, man. I've, I'm I'm very grateful. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll always kind of make sure to give thanks for, for you know, this journey. It, it's been hard in the motherfucker, but it's, you yeah. know, you got to be grateful for the good and the bad, you know. That's if you say thank you for the blessing, you got to say thank you for when it's not going well, because, I mean. Thank you for the van. Thank yeah, you thank you for the van. Thank you for these gray hairs, you know. Thank you for the lack of hair, or in my case. You know. struggle because it made me work harder. Thank me. Thank you for all the good times because it made yeah. me appreciate everything more. Like, it's, it is important to be grateful. You don't see that attitude a lot in comedy, which is why you get a lot of bitter people. I think more so now, you see more gratefulness in comedy. Um, and there, but there's a generation of comics that carry this bitterness with them. And you'll see it in certain like comics now, certain newbie comics or new Jack comics will have this cockiness that they feel like makes them funnier. And it's like, no, you don't have the years in the game. Those people that are cocky are not cocky because, you know, they just feel like being cocky. That's, that's bitterness on them. Like they're up there because they're like, I've earned my spot in this game. Well, that's a great point. And I'll ask both of y'all this. So it's like, what do you think is the difference between like com being confident and, and, and cockiness? Like as, you know, you're a comic, yeah. you're a director, producer, like, like what does that look like on, on, on both ends? What's the difference? Because one I think is frowned upon and the other one is respected. Yeah, I think 
a lot of it has to do for me with tone and attitude of the things that you say and do because a confident person is never condescending mm -hmm. a cocky person is condescending um because they feel like they there's like a, a status thing and if i'm condescending to you you're now beneath me you are my subordinate whereas a confident person doesn't need to have you beneath them they're not threatened by your presence they're not upset by it they're not scared of it a confident person can just maintain confidence be professional and be easy the times i've worked with cocky people it's like no i know you're smart and i know you're good at this but you're also kind of a huge douchebag now and i would never be willing to work with you again yeah yeah i think that for me it same it it's in the same vein but it's more um a confident person is respectful regardless okay yeah it, um still knows how to appreciate right because like i could be confident i could be like i'm really good at this and you'll see that and like you could take it as cocky but i still have manners I'm still grateful. I'm still paying attention to the little things. And then I also know how to be um, just a good, kind person, you know? Cause like, I think cocky people forget. I don't think you can be kind and cocky. That's in my opinion, that those things don't live together. I've never met a kind, cocky person. I've met kind, confident people, but mm -hmm. cocky people aren't, because I don't think cocky people are even kind to themselves. You know what I mean? Cause it's That's kind of- interesting. Most yeah. of the time it's a front. So because they're fronting on themselves, they usually don't know how to be kind to other people. Mm -hmm. And they usually lack the confidence that they're faking. Like yeah. the, the difference with confident people, it's like when you talk about super smart people, they're, I, and I've had this conversation with my therapist so far, um, <laughs> people, there's perceived intelligence and then there's intelligence intelligence. Perceived intelligence is I want you to think I'm intelligent. So I'm going to say intelligent things so that the first thought in your mind is Gina is really intelligent and I'm doing it on purpose and it's very calculated versus actual intelligence, which means I don't really care what I say to you. I know I'm an intelligent person. I don't need to prove it to you or anybody else. And to me, that's like cocky and confident where it's like confident people. It's like, I don't have to prove anything to you. I'm confident in what I do, whether you believe it or not, does not affect me. A cocky person is constantly trying to prove they are great at something where it's yeah. like, if that's you a good point that both of you guys bring up, but it's like, it almost seems like it's at an intersection of like, let me see if I find finding the, the right words, but it's like mindfulness in mm -hmm. what is it like people pleasing? It's like, it's a level of people because how can I say it's like, it's almost like giving a fuck. It's like, Hey, I don't have to prove it. I don't give a fuck what you think. But at the same time, there is a level of people pleasing. So it's like, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a very kind of like walking a, uh, a fine line. That's, yeah. You guys bring up good points. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, because I think that also even com even confident people, right. Have insecurities. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, sometimes you do need to like get through the day with a little bit of a front because it's just a hard day. I'm not, and that's just being honest. Even confident people have low days. On those days, you can seem cocky because the confidence that you naturally have may just not be there that day because of an insecurity, maybe because of a life incident. So on that day, the line that you're walking could be a little bit like cocky to some people when in reality, it could have just been that day, you know? Too, because you have to force it. You're forcing it. You're forcing the situation. It's like for comics when... There's times when we're going through life stuff and it's like, I don't want to be on stage in two minutes right now. I want to go cry my eyes out, but I have to be on stage in two minutes. 
And on those days, you have to force it until you get to that place on stage. And the good thing about comedy for most of us is that it's therapy. So we get to that place on stage where we do find a peace, like a form of peace comes over us because we're like, oh, this is me and my element. But the beginning of that set is always the struggle internally for a comic because it's like I'm fighting against what I want to do as a human being versus what I need to do as a performer. Mm-hmm. And that struggle, yeah. that's a real struggle for a lot of performers, for a lot of people, but specifically people that, are, that have to be on stage and be funny when something tragic or upsetting is happening in their lives. Yeah, yeah that's so true. It's like you, you, even, you know, as we as we go about our careers and stuff like there's there's something to be said about being professional you know it's like you have to go about it in a you know certain way no matter what's happening at home or in your head you got to leave it out the door because i mean the last thing you want is to leave there is like whoa what the hell happened to so-and-so it's like oh no i just had a bad day like Catherine was saying it's just on the day i was leaning more on this side because i have so it's like you can't even you you can't even afford those days you just have to always like be professional and know that uh, there's a pillow waiting for you at home to cry on at the end of the day, but yeah, you gotta or you need to know, Or you need to know how to um, like direct it. So for instance, if you're a comic or if you're just a writer, for instance, like, you know, if you're in a writer's room and you had an event happen to you, you might be able to put that into the story. But yeah. there's a difference between I put it into the story and I took it out on everybody in the room, <laughs> right? right? Like, because I'm letting it out in some way creatively, but I'm not letting everybody feel it. And if they are feeling it, they're feeling it with the passion of wanting to like explore it, you know, but I think that takes time as well. Recognizing when, cause like, like Gina said, I've seen her literally turn it on mm-hmm. and she will deliver a joke a different way than she does on any other given day. And it's not that it's necessarily better or worse. It's different. So it gets a different laugh. Yeah, right? her energy was different in that moment, that day, yeah. Right, but they don't realize that. They don't see what she's doing, even though literally she'll come off stage, I want to go home, and she's like done with the day, you know? But she didn't, like, go up there on some, I'm about to change all of your energies because I'm pissed. She still remember the objective, and I think that takes time, that takes maturity. But again, it also takes confidence, knowing that this is my job and I'm good at this. Yeah. Knowing what to do in that situation is important because, and I don't knock comics that do this, like they bring their mood to the stage. Some comics work well with that. Sure, it works phenomenal for some, sure. Some people go up angry as hell and it works amazingly for them and they rip the audience a new one and the audience loves it. (laughs) Me personally, that doesn't, I don't have a friendly, funny, angry phase. I have have a, I will light all of y'all on fire and walk out the bitch like nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't need to bring that energy on the stage. So I'm like, I got to take a step back and be like, all right, as much as I don't want to do this right now, I have to do this. And there is a need to snap, snap out of it. And it's also about knowing what your limits are as a confident person. I think being able to tell somebody like, I don't know how to do that. Like I have to, some, there's some things my manager will throw my way and I'll be like, I really have, I'll do it, but I'm going to have somebody walk me through it because I don't know what I'm doing in this realm. And I'd rather be upfront and honest about it, whereas somebody who's cocky would try to fake their way through it and be like, yeah, I know. No, I know. I know how to do that. Yeah. And then mess up an opportunity. That's a great point. It's like, I I think that's another uh, um, uh, crucial point between like cocky 
and confident is is checking the ego, how you manage the ego. It's like I'm confident enough to tell you, you know, I don't know what you know how to do this. Walk me through it. I'm I'm yeah. open to it. Like I know I can do it, but I don't know how right now in this moment. So if you can walk me through how to do it, right. I will learn how to do it to the best of my ability. I may right. not be an expert in this field. As opposed to being stubborn, like that's how I do it. If you like it, good. If not, let's move exactly. on. It's like, oh well, not now, now you're difficult to work with. I'm sure as a director, you know, gathering you're like, fuck, all right, well, what do I have to do now? Yeah, you know I mean, to get this motherfucker to break through. And yeah, it's like it's not mindful, you know, going yeah. back to what Gina said. Yeah. Well, and it, it, like, it requires a lot of the other person, right? So like when you're working for myself, when you work with talent, you have to now, I have to do an extra job on top of it. You know what I mean? Um, like, because you, you have a job that you're doing and I have a job to make sure that, you know, we get what we need. But now I have to be mindful of your feelings. Now I have to be mindful. And I'm not talking about how I make you feel. I have to be mindful of whatever you're going through as if I don't have a job. I, the job is not babysitting. The job is getting the job done. You know what I mean? And that's interesting that you say that because I think as, you know, um, minorities, you know, um, I've, I've, I've heard this. Um, I just started reading a book, uh, 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 Cecilia Munoz. She was a, a, a only Latina that worked with, uh, she was a, a Latina that worked with uh, President Obama um, for foreign policy. But it's like, like speaking up, like, like, how can I say this? It's like, how do you speak up and, and not and not be perceived that you're 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 being um, a drama queen or, or a this or that? You know, it's like because sometimes it's perceived as like, oh man, like and so and so keeps piping up. And it's like, no, I'm 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 putting ego aside. I don't know what's going on, or I don't think I I don't agree with this situation. And then you get labeled difficult to work with. You know, that might be a situation too. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, that comes down to how you address the problem mm. and how often you're the one constantly stopping the workflow to address the problem. Like right. if you are the person that every single work session gets stopped because you have an issue, of course, they're going to be labeled the problem because every time you raise your hand, they're going to be like, oh, this, <laughs> this person got a problem again. So I think there are yeah. certain questions you sort of have to learn how to solve things on your own so that mm. that doesn't happen. But when you're absolutely at your wits end and you're like, I have no idea what direction to go in. I have no idea how to start this project or how they're going to accomplish this. That's when I think it comes to, okay, guys, I just got to put this out there. I just got to ask some questions, especially when you're dealing with multiple people, like a team of people. You don't want to be the one that's constantly and, and I've been afraid of that, too. Like, when I'm working with a team, I don't want to be the person that's holding y'all back from moving forward with something mm -hmm. because I have a million unresolved issues with what's going on. So yeah. I sit back and figure out, all right, is this really an issue I need to bring up or is it an issue that I need to learn to solve on my own? Yeah. And then bring it up to the team if it's still unresolved, you know, or bring it up to a specific member that you know will understand, maybe not the whole team. Yeah. I mean, I also think like going to what you were saying, because if I, I, I've never read the book, um, tone is an important thing, especially for POC. Like, you know, um, first, we're just naturally loud people. That's just kind of how we are. And so constantly being aware of that is a thing in work environments, regardless of your industry. It's a thing. 
Um, secondly, uh, I think, I like to think that like, uh, a lot of women who are of color are very forward, kind of assertive, and even the shy ones know how to like, you know, kind of see, say very direct things. And that doesn't sit well in certain environments. So then that's when you're labeled like confrontational or difficult. So we find ourselves, I can only speak for women. We find ourselves in between this battle of how do I speak up for myself, but not constantly be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I'm so sorry, but I'm so sorry. Cause sorry yes. is the yes. way that we kind of like, I know how I sound. I know my tone. I know that I don't sugarcoat it. But if I say sorry four times, you're it, it's gonna ease it out like don't there's so many different layers of but it's not only the the working world or let's just say like um working with other groups so working with caucasians i also think even internally in our cultures um we're not necessarily told to speak up towards our parents like we're told to respect the elders we're yes. told to respect you know so we're taught that from a young age we're taught like to to um speak up pero que se tenga respeto Right. And so what yeah. does respect look like when, am I respecting you because you're demanding respect as a person or am I respecting you because I'm a kid and kids don't have a voice and you grow up into an adult who kind of feels that same way in a room? Yeah. And it's basically like unlearning these things. It's like, how do you unlearn? Like, sir, there's a lot of things that we learn as, as uh, Latinx, like, people, but growing up, it, it doesn't serve you very well in, in the work environment. So it's like, how do you unlearn certain things, but also carry and be true to yourself of that respective nature? Yes, I'm sorry. No, no when to apologize, but over apologizing almost lessens your your value. In a sort. Like even, even in this book, she, she, she has this, uh, y'all should read this book. I mean, it is, it, it is dope, especially as like professional Latino, as the Latinas in this business, I mean, I mean, she was one, like, she's a petite woman. So she has this chapter where she, she talks about going in there and she felt the need, like, to cuss. Like, when she talks, she was like, I don't give a damn, I don't give a fuck. Like, whatever she needed to, to perceive, I don't know if this is what she meant, but I understood it as to seem bigger than what she yeah. was. Yeah. She needed to demand that kind of respect. But after a while, she's like, I realized I didn't need that. You know, it's like, in my experience that I bring into the room, she's like, Sometimes I thought I was in the room to fill some kind of quota and I would have like that, like that feeling of, I don't know if I belong here. It's like, no, my experience in the room means something. I'm, I'm, I'm here. The fact and that I, I'm in the room. Yeah. It's like, you can't second guess yourself. There's a reason. And then, you know, I don't know. It, it, it was, it wasn't intent. I'm not the intended demographic, but I, I, I read it. It was recommended to me by my girl, Adria. And it was like more than ready. It's called Cecilia Munoz. It is fire, y'all. If, if y'all read it, thank me later. It, it, it's, it's fire. It, it's a quick read, too. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'll even buy you the book. That's how dope it is. You know, send me the thing and I'll, I'll send it to you on Amazon. That's how fire it is. Like, and, and, and any uh, minority in, in, a, in you know, as, as a professional should read that, you know, especially yeah. women. Because um, it, it does feel, it can be daunting to feel like we're taught to respect authority. When they teach mm -hmm. us to respect our parents and elders, we're taught to respect authority, which means you do not question authority. You yeah. learn to make your voice a second because right. you're like, if I say something, I'm being disrespectful, which is yeah. really what they don't teach us and what should be taught, I think, to kids is yes, of course, 
Respect the people in your family, have respect, fine, but don't be afraid to ask questions. We make uh -huh. it disrespectful to ask questions or to even say, hey, I'm uncomfortable doing this. Like, question me that so many times. Like, why can't you question things? Like, you're, it's so funny because I feel like that, um, there's a saying, and you're, you're a Mexican American, correct? Yep. yep. So, um, Mexicans and Ecuadorians have this. Um, saying where if your parent calls you, <clears throat> you say Monday. Yeah, Monday stay. Yeah. Monday, right? Like, and I grew up saying Monday. Like, I also grew up around a lot of Caribbean people who didn't say Monday, right? So my mother taught us that Monday was because que is rude. So yes. she called you from the other room and you said que. That's how you talk to your parent. What I realized later. Um, and the privilege of like having higher education was Monday was actually a slave term. And it, yeah. think about it. It's you talking to your boss and saying Monday senor, right? Yeah. So here's the thing with what we've been taught as like um, terms of respecting an adult, we're actually from something else. Now that doesn't mean that now that I know that I stopped saying that to my mom because she's not having that. She's still like, yeah. Monday is what you say. But, but they're deep-rooted issues, sure, that yes. we've learned, yeah. It's well, the idea of, am I, am I saying, I'm, I'm only saying Monday because my mother was taught that it's a respectful term. But the history of the word is... Subservient in, in nature, sure. Yeah. What, what, that's, what, that's, what order? What so order do you get? teaches us where these terms come from. It's ingrained in us just to say them. Mm -hmm. So when you don't learn the history and then later on you find out what the history is behind things like saying Monday to, a, to an adult, you realize like, oh, this is a subordination thing. Like, again, you are making me lower. And I understand from a parental aspect, it's like, know your place, stay in your lane. But the connotation when you learn it is like, oh, damn, like I'm really your slave. Like I'm, I'm beneath you. Like that's what this is. And you take that mentality, even without knowing the meaning of the word, you take that mentality into your business professional relationships, where if there's somebody of a higher position that you're talking to, you will often lower yourself because right. it's like, I don't want to be disrespectful to you, which causes when you're a performer, a lot of bad deals, a lot of bad decision making, because you're too afraid to say, I didn't like this from the start. Yeah. yeah. And that, I'll take whatever I can get. Yeah. yeah. And, and you oftentimes hold yourself back from like, I guess, asking too much or, but that goes, I, I guess there's a, you know, full circle. It's like knowing your self-worth. It's like, at what point do you earn your respect to be able to speak up or should you be speaking up? It's like the timing of it all. It's like, I think Gina brought up a great point earlier. It's like, where does confidence come, comes from? It comes from doing this longer. Some people are cocky because, they, they, they think there's something when they just started out, but it's like, at what point should we start exercising speaking up, which in turn goes into confidence, which in turn people see a higher value, which in turn you see a higher value. So it's like, you're not like trying to like projecting something you're not. So it's like, a, it's a full circle. You know? Yeah, I think it comes from those scary moments where there's a huge chance for failure and you speak up and things don't work out. Like those moments where you speak up and there is a pitfall, those are the moments that teach you, well, at least I said something. At least I was able to say something. It didn't go my way. Sure. I made it through that. 
So then the next time that comes up, you pick a side. Either you become the person that hides still and doesn't say stuff because you're afraid, or you go, you know what? I said something in that situation and it worked, didn't work out, but at least I spoke up and I was proud of myself for saying something, even though it didn't go the way I wanted it to. Because time is the best is the best teacher. It's like I've lived enough to know that if I don't speak up, what does that look like? And I've I've lived long enough and done this long enough that if I speak up, I know what this looks like. Yeah. Judging by case by case, I have to make a decision at the fork in the road. Do I not speak up and possibly re recreate this scenario, or do I speak up recreate this? And it's like after a while, you're just like I have enough experience under my belt to be like. I'm good, but also you got to make those mistakes. How do you find mistakes or where the parameters are if you don't cross them? It's like, oh, I fell miserably or I didn't get the deal I wanted or, you know, I lost this friend because I said this or it's like, or I kept this friend, but I wasn't, you know, like whatever it is, like business relationships, romantic ones, like, like, like you find out what that negotiation is like for speaking up or not, you know, what those consequences are. I've definitely had people fight me in moments where I've spoken up. And they've been like, you know, like one of one of the examples is when I, after I did the HBO special, after I did the half hour or was booked for the half hour before we even filmed it was when Amazon made the offer for me to do an hour. So my team came to me and said, well, which one do you want to do? And I said, both. And they were like, what? And I was like, I'm going to do both. There's no conflict of interest. The HBO one airs on HBO. This will be on streaming. HBO airs at a different time. By the time the Amazon special will be out, the HBO special would have been out. There'll be new material. I'll work with whoever I have to work with to hammer out an hour special in six months, five months, and work my butt off. But I'm not going to miss either opportunity. And my whole team, whole team fought with me on it except my lawyer, who is the only person that understood where I was coming from. Where I was like, as a, person of, as a person of color, I would have the opportunity to shoot two specials within a year. Yeah, that's huge. And so nobody hands you that. Nobody hands you that. But no. everybody was against it. My agent was pissed at me. My manager, my agent at the time, my manager at the time, they were all pissed at me and fighting against me. My lawyer was the only one. At he himself, being a person of color, he was like, I totally get it. The HBO special, you know, I knew it was going to be on HBO Latino. I'm like, this is for my people. And that's yeah. how I was viewing it. I'm like, this is for my people. Right. And my core audience is going to gravitate towards HBO Latino. Amazon is a new place for me to get new fans, for new people to see me that maybe had never seen my stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we ended, up getting, we ended up getting both deals. But it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm going to piss off a lot of people. I knew going in to the first meeting where I was going to say this, I'm like, I'm going to piss a lot of people off because they're not going to want to do as much work as I'm about to lay on them. Yeah. And I was like, they're going to fight me against it. But in the end, win or lose, I spoke up for what I wanted. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to live with that decision. And it's like, that's a very interesting one because it's like, one, you have a team around you that is speaking out of experience. That's why you hire them. It's, it's like yeah. your cabinet. It's like, the agent, the managers, like they have an experience they bring to the table. So it's like, I trust what you're telling me, but I'm going to go with this decision. So that's another very important thing. I mean, y'all are, are all brilliant, by the way. Uh, y'all got your emotional IQs to the roof. It's so crazy. It, it makes me realize certain shit. Well, it, so are like, you. We, we, can have, we couldn't just have this conversation with anybody who didn't have a certain level of both intelligence and emotional intelligence. Yeah, and mindfulness. 
Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm listening to what y'all, what y'all are saying. Y'all are putting me up on game, but it's like, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking of, of myself in the way that it's like, I don't have that kind of threshold. Like, I don't know. What, I have a very low threshold when it comes to having like, like me being comfortable with people being mad at me. My threshold is low. I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one. So it's like, I'll find the middle ground, but what you did right or wrong is beside the point. It's you did it and, 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 and you made a decision and you move forward with that. And you know what, at the end of the day, that's very respectful. Cause if it's a hundred people mad at you, a two, it, it, it's almost irrelevant to your decision-making process. You'll hear people out. It sounds like, yeah. like I disagree and I'm going to make this happen. So. Well, yeah, because it was like, I understand why y'all would fight me on this, but, and I broke it down. You cannot, if you're going to speak up, one good thing to do, definitely, if you're in a position where you want to speak up about something, is to consider the other side's opposing argument and go, mm. what are they not going to like about what I am about to say? Because if I am prepared for all of their dislikes and all the things that they're going to say against me, then I can have something to either ease their fears or at least kind of shut them down and be like, no, that wouldn't happen. So, so at what point do you present a card? Like, so I'll, I'll ask this to, to both of y'all. It's like you listen, but at what point, I don't think it's a question of ego, but at what point do you present a counter argument, but you're also susceptible, like, like open to the idea of, I, I want to have my mind changed. So it's like, when do you, are, are you, are you listening? Like, what was the thing you just said? It's, it's like, you want to tell them what? Like if they have, you want to know what their counter argument will be against you. What are the right. things you know they're going to say to you so that way you can counter them with what, whatever they're going to fire back at you, but in a respectful way, like not in a negative way. Just so how much would you guys fight back is the question. It's like, how, like, like, like how much, how, like how much would you guys counter to the point where I was like, I need to have my way no matter what, or, oh, fuck. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. You know, my bad. Well, there's a level of respect that you still keep, you know, where it's like, if I don't get my way, fine. Cause not everything is going to go your way. You can't go in with that attitude of like, you know, the bratty talent. That's like, if I don't get my way, y'all work for me, forget you, blah, blah, blah. The second you take that attitude, nobody's listening to you. What you have is a mutually beneficial relationship. Nobody works for anybody. If, you, if they do, if my team does their job and I do my job, we're both going to benefit. Mm. So you have to keep the lines of communication that even and go, when I was talking to them about the specials, they brought up every single point I knew they were going to bring up. Like you're talking about two completely different like platforms right now and putting that out there. What if Amazon has a problem with you doing HBO? It couldn't be any of, any of the old material. And I was like, guys, the majority of the work is going to be on me. I have five months to write an hour special. If I'm willing to take on that responsibility, I think you guys should consider the opportunity to do two specials in a year. If I'm saying I'm willing to bust my ass for five months, work with my writing partner. So he was, I mean, we, he was there at every show, every set, combing through it. This didn't work. That worked. Let's do this. Let's put this story back in every single set. I said, I'm doing that work. The work that I'm willing to take on also evened out the playing field. Cause it's not like I was like putting it on them and being like, y'all figure this out. I'm like, no, 90% of this is going to be on me. 
right. as the performer. And knowing what your bargaining chips are is good. Right. I mean, I think for, I, I, I haven't necessarily been in that situation in a while, but um, there's a difference between like in Gina's scenario, we're talking her team, right? So if she's having a conversation with her team, we have to make a team decision. And there's nobody here who's in charge, like at the top level. We're all a team. But if you're having a similar conversation with the actual execs at Amazon, at HBO, totally different conversation because they are the ones in charge. So your approach has to be a little different, which is why the team needs to be tight going in. I think um, it's kind of the same approach that I take when I go into directing something, which is I, I tell people, I, I like to have a number of non-negotiables. And I know that sounds harsh, but non-negotiables means if we have 20 shots to take, five are non-negotiable, 20. I'm saying I would like five and I don't want to negotiate. This has to be this way. You're winning out because I'm only asking for five. Now what I've done is I've carefully looked at the 20 and pick five that I know will work. That I'm like, no, 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 they work. And I might even say, but when we are doing those five, take alternatives, convince me, show it to me. Meaning I, I told you this is not negotiable, but I gave you the wiggle room. And then later I look at it and might go, damn, you were right. So my five became four, but at the end of the day I went because you, you saw what I was going for and sometimes somebody can make it better, right? I think that in that way, I kind of am feeding them in this way that I'm saying, oh, I'm not asking for too much. So my non-negotiables don't seem harsh. But again, knowing what room you're talking in and having people who back you up when I will say, dude, but I really need to find non-negotiables. For instance, when I work with Gina, I have the freedom to express myself, however, but I know when we're in other rooms together, um, when she speaks up because she's better at uh, um, making them understand a point, but she understood my point through and through. So also having the confidence of knowing who you can like talk to and be real with and be like, this is why, but don't go in there going, just trust me. No, you have to have something. Let's talk about it, yeah. Yeah, you have to have something, yeah. Absolutely. Um, before we go off on any more rails, because I, I love I love where this conversation is going. I honestly yeah, we were duking it out over there. It's like shit, what you got, girl? Shit, this, this conversation took such a great turn and went on so many different paths and I love it. Um I just wanna get to our segment here that we do on the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Um we do a segment called Dear Gina where listeners will write in and they'll ask questions and we give them advice. Um one of my favorite things is being nosy about people's lives. So uh, we'll all give them a piece of advice. We'll take a shot at it. So here's today's Dear Gina. Dear Gina, what are some things you've done during quarantine time that you feel like you might take into your regular life once we go back to whatever our new normal is? Um, yeah, that's a good question because I think I've implemented a lot of good behaviors to keep my sanity throughout the quarantine that I wish I would just regularly do, um, like meditating in the morning, like reading more books like I love to read but me setting aside time and I love actual books like I have a lot of audiobooks too but I love the feel of a book I highlight my books I make notes in my books like I love my books and so I've taken the time now to actually every morning to sit down and read in my in, in whatever book I'm reading at the time and really sit back and reflect on that and 
meditate a lot more and be with my thoughts and control my thoughts a lot more, realizing that I'm in control of my thoughts and I'm the one that directs them and being able to tell myself to shut up when I go negative is a big thing for me. Like being able to be like, when a negative thought comes in, be like, no, 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 we're not doing that today. We're not doing that today. We're not going negative today. Right now I'm, I'm working towards more positive. So I think those would be the things that I hope to take with me, just sticking with meditating and reading and being more mindful of how I treat myself internally. So that, that's the stuff I would bring with me. Kat, you wanna take a stab at what you would take with you? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, I think it depends on what the new normal looks like, right? Um, I think for me, one thing, I pressure. I have decided not to listen to other people's pressure. That just doesn't serve me. So for instance, I'm someone who, when I want to, I can have a regulated wake up at seven kind of schedule. But sometimes I might wake up at two. Now mind, if I, and that I'm being okay with that. I, I, I've learned to not, like when people tell me, oh my God, you woke up at two? What's the problem? Like, that's my life. I'm not doing anything to you. And being okay with that, where I don't then lay later on at night and go, no, I should go to sleep earlier so that I can wake up earlier. Because really, I'm just doing that because somebody else made me feel guilty. So that, that guilt and that pressure, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. Um, another thing is uh, wasting time. See, because I feel like right now, a lot, it's, it's odd. We have so much time, but I'm also focused so much on time. And it's little things. It's who is valuable to my life on many levels where I'm like, I'm not even making time for anybody who I'm just like, nah, you're not a bad person, but what are we doing? Why is this happening? Because I think that the focal point in during this time is like, it's so heavy and it's so like, take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, check in on people. I don't want to not be that way after. You know, like, I want to keep that. I don't want that to be something we only think about because there's a pandemic. But that also means um, wasting my time frivolously, even in my, like, dating life. Like, I've changed the way I'm looking at my dating life and the way I'm looking at attacking things in the future where I'm like, I think I was single for two years and I was just kind of, like, enjoying life. And I still want to enjoy it, but with a little bit more substance and purpose. Um, and so I think that's what I'm going to take into you know what I mean? I don't want to be regimented to the point where I'm like, oh, um, are you going to provide this and this and this to me? I don't mean right. it like that. But I am going to be like, if I already see the one thing that is not going to work, thank you, have a nice life. Where before I would have been like, eh. So non-negotiables, like, as you say. Again, uh, but, but those are in my head. Those are the ones I go, or I might go to my homegirl and be like, mm, yeah, these are probably non-negotiables. But I might hear them out. It's just there's certain things that all right. What about you, Jesus? Is there anything that you've done during quarantine time that you're gonna take with you into the new normal? I think yeah, it's like we 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 have a, a similar through line, and for me, I think it's prioritizing things that I wanted to do. You know, we live in this rat race where we're like we're fulfilling other people's uh, schedules, and and like you 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 got to be here, you got to do that, you got to do this. It's fine, but there. I, I like the schedule that I've created for myself and prioritize things that I wanted to do. Like I've wanted to, you know, like go for runs in the, in the morning. I like reading books. I've been reading a ton of books, you know, 
I've been, you know, doodling. I was like, fuck, like I, I, I used to love painting and drawing and I didn't do it because, you know, I'm a grown up now. I got to go do this. I got to do that. But it's not a waste of time. You know, it's like it, before it felt like it was a waste of time. And now I, during quarantine, I, I, I see what the benefits and what the, the value that it brings to, to me as a creative, you know, it's like I'm expressing myself in a different way. So just like, you know, prioritizing things that I want to do also eating at home. Like I, I didn't realize I, I wasn't very good at, at cooking to begin with, but I've become so much better that I think that that brings value. It's like eating healthier. You One, you save a bunch of money. Two, you eat healthier eating at home and just like going to shopping and, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to buy this, buy that. Not necessarily like meal prep, but just kind of like, I don't know, I've, I've, I've been living a better lifestyle in quarantine to a certain extent than I was before. And I want to carry that into what the new normal is. You know, if I can sustain that, I think I'll be much more happier. And then meditating. I've been meditating like crazy and it helps, man. It's like, you got to prioritize stuff like that. Yeah, it's very true. That's My non-negotiables. <laughs> the five non-negotiables. Non-negotiables. That's great. I just said non-negotiables. So I'm really great with the English language today. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, Jesus. Um, uh, tell people where they can find you. Uh, shout out the special one more time. Shout out anything you want to big up right now. Yeah, uh, Showtime special, stay at home, son. Uh, Showtime, 8 29, 9 p.m. Uh, Tacos con todo. Check out the old episodes. We got six episodes. Uh, it's looking like we got another season coming our way. Hopefully, everything goes back to normal or the new normal, whatever that is. And uh, I just want to thank you, ladies, for having me on. I, I really enjoy the hell out of this uh, conversation. And yeah, uh, sending positive vibes and a big hug, ladies. Shout out your socials. Where can people find you on oh. social media? Uh, jesustrejo.com, uh, Twitter, at Jesus Trejo, and then Instagram, at Jesus Trejo, and a, and a number one. Hey. hey, nice. Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. Um, <laughs> it's just three places. Twitter, it's at Kathy Grace 24 and Kathy is K-A-T-H-I-E, not a Y, don't disrespect me. Um, wow. <laughs> um, on, on Instagram, and now and newly on TikTok, um, at Catherine G. Mendoza. That is K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E G dot M-E-N-D-O-Z-A. Gina likes when I spell out my name. Gina, I am such an You should end it every time with, and not a Y, because don't disrespect me. <laughs> That's such a sign off to when you plug your <laughs> social media. Cool. Not a Y, because don't disrespect me. Hey, cut a check. All right. <laughs> you guys, you can find me at G Brion on Instagram, ginabrion.com or .net. We'll take you to the website. You can check out my HBO uh, Half Hour, Easily Offended, still up. And uh, you can also check out me out on Amazon coming soon with The Floor is Lava. So you can check that out. Uh, yeah, keep up with me. You guys know that I like to end the show with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. When life is throwing a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time. So one catastrophe at a time, people. Until next time, deuces. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Jesus. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a good one, ladies. Thank you. So before we actually sign off, we just want to send a special happy birthday to my older sister, Michelle. Happy birthday, Michelle. We hope you're having a great day, even if you're quarantined. Gina, take it away. 
Happy birthday, Michelle. Thank you so much for being a listener. I hope you're having an amazing quarantine birthday. All right. I love you. Bye. Yeah, do it like that. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Go to sleep, I call him a night cat. Born killer. You a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.